news of what the prophet Isaiah spoke of what Christ Jesus has done for his people. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. People of God, he has done this because he loves you. He brings you into his family. He brings you into his presence through the blood. He gives you forgiveness and feeds you with his word and at his table. So brothers and sisters, having truly confessed our sins, God himself promises you the forgiveness of the Father, the victory of the Son, and the glory and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Believe this and rejoice. All of God's people say, Amen. Amen. The reading of God's word this morning begins in Jeremiah chapter 31. Verses 27 through 37. Hear now the word of the Lord. Behold, days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beast. And it will come about that as I have watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to overthrow, to destroy, and to bring disaster. So I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares Yahweh. In those days they will not say again, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone will die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. Behold, days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares Yahweh. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, No, Yahweh. For they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares Yahweh. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Thus says Yahweh, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. Yahweh of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from me, declares Yahweh, then the offspring of Israel shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says Yahweh, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I will also cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares Yahweh. We'll turn now to the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18 and begin in verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called the child to himself and set him before them, and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as a child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever, uh, and whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble... It is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into the fiery hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, 
For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? And if it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. Thus it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. And if your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. Truly I say to you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there were brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. He was unwilling, however, but went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you, if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Let us now turn together in the back of our bulletin and read as a congregation Psalm 130, verses 1 through 8. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning again. So last week I told you that sometime in the future we would go into some more detail on forgiveness, like when I got to Luke 17 in another couple of years at the rate we're moving. For those of you who were not here, we're in Colossians still. And then... Uh, The future has arrived. 
I, I decided we'd take another week and uh, maybe more than a week to talk about forgiveness. Particularly, we're going to start in Colossians because that's, that's the, the book that we're basing our understanding out of, but I, I do want to go into a little bit more detail. This morning I was reminded, because I'm, I'm wearing a yellow shirt, for those of you who don't know, my family hates this shirt. My wife said it's okay if I wear it because she doesn't have to look at me. She's in the nursery today. <laughs> and, you know, like many of you, the fact that they hate it makes me want to wear it more frequently. It says something a little bit about our nature, doesn't it? We enjoy compounding offenses. We're going to come to God's Word and... He speaks to us, and this subject is one of seriousness, in that forgiveness, bearing with one another, this topic of how we deal with one another, it's central to who we are, to this new man that Christ has called us to be. He says to us, Christ is all and in all, and there at the very heart, this is the action that falls out of this new man. Bearing, forgiving. And so we need to know with some precision what is God calling us to in fullness. So that's our topic for this morning. If you would bow with me as we pray to our Lord to open our ears, give us eyes to see. Father, your, your word speaks. And we pray this morning that you would bore out our ears and help us to hear, that your word would speak in power, not empty, not returning void, but instead as we come to it and we sit at your feet, Lord, that you would transform us, make us like our Savior, so that we have guts of mercy, minds that are low, that issue forth in a love for one another that covers multitudes of offenses. Bind us then together and to our Savior Jesus as this one new man this morning. May these words and these meditations be pleasing in your sight. We pray these things in the name of the Word, our Savior Jesus. Amen. The subject of forgiveness is central to the epistle that Paul writes. Remember, Paul is writing to this young church. It's come to faith, they're bearing fruit, and he's, he's warning them about the possibility of deception, about vain philosophies that can enter into their midst. And he's warning them, take a hold of the knowledge that's been given to you and walk in it, walk in a manner worthy worthy of the Lord, pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good deed, and then increase in more knowledge, and keep on repeat, growing in good works, growing in knowledge, issuing forth in strength, perseverance, and thankfulness, and to an overflow of joy. Well, at the center of that, the contrast of, of, of the deception, which, which is a, a, a Judean deception that in order to come in, in order to be fully united, you need to look backwards to the law, Paul says, no, we have everything in Christ, and central to that is forgiveness. Half a year ago now, we looked at, at what that forgiveness is in chapter 1 and chapter 2, how Jesus has blotted out our transgressions, how he's bound us to himself, and in our union with Christ, we've, made, we've been made dead to our transgressions, and we've already been made alive and risen up with him altogether. He's canceled out, blotted out, the handwriting of decrees, that law that spoke against us, that, that spoke against the Jews, that excluded the Gentiles, it's been taken out of the way, and we have been forgiven. Paul's word to us this morning is that because we've been forgiven, because we are this new man, he calls us to forgive. We can't split apart the two in that this is central to what the new man is. God has forgiven us, and so we must forgive. And so the, the very heart of our passage, the phrase that we're going to hone in, hone in on, 
then in verse 13 is that if anyone has complaint to blame against anyone else, just as the Lord forgave you, so also must you. Our forgiveness comes out of, is mimicking God's forgiveness. So it shares definition, it shares mechanism, it shares magnitude of how God has forgiven us. I'm going to read then again chapter 3 verses 1 through 17. So we have Paul's call to us as this new man in mind. How do we go about this then again in Colossians 3 verse 1? If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the above things where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on those above things, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, put to death the earthly limbs, the ones that are on earth, put them to death, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For it's on account of these things that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Take them off. Anger, wrath, evil thinking, evil planning, malice, slander, and shameful words from your mouth. Do not lie to one another because you have taken off the old man with his evil practices and you have put on the new man who is being made new unto a knowledge which is in accordance with the image of the one who created him In this new man, there is no Greek, there is no Jew, there is no circumcised, there is no uncircumcised, there is no barbarian, there is no Scythian, there is no slave, there is no free, but Christ is all and in all. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy, beloved, put on guts of mercy, put on kindness, put on a lowliness of mind that issues forth in gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And in all this, love, which is the bond that matures, that perfects. And let the peace of Christ Decide among you, arbitrate in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. And let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with wisdom, all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and be thankful in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and be thankful through him to God the Father." So if you recall from last week, we went some time, we took some time going then into detail in verses 12 through 14 about his construction of the clothes of this new man. The clothes are given to the new man and the description of the new man is he's chosen, he's holy, he's loved. That's the foundation. The sin has been blotted out. The transgression has been removed. The old man has been taken away. And so we are chosen of God. We are holy. We are loved. And so then we must put on guts of mercy. Remember that out of those guts of mercy, way down deep, when you look at your brother and you see him suffering, whether that's by his own hand because of sin or because of something that's outside of him, this new man, the Christian, the ones together look at that new man and they feel something. Way down deep in the bowels, in the guts, they feel compassion just like God felt compassion on us. This can only be done when Jesus renews us unto this kind of feeling. But that feeling doesn't remain a feeling. Instead, it issues forth in kindness, usefulness, if you remember. That guts of mercy comes out and we're made useful to our brother. We do something about it. There's a noun that has an implied action attached. And then secondly, we have lowliness of mind. The clothes are put on a lowliness of mind in which we consider others more important than ourselves. We consider the fact that that we're frail and they're frail. And we think about our lowliness and that humility, which isn't like the false humility that worships angels, that takes 
to enters in on visions that he's seen. Remember back to chapter 2. Instead, this kind of lowliness of mind is about one another, the man that God has brought together. And we think about one another, and in that thought, we approach one another with gentleness, with long-suffering. And so our actions towards one another... They're meek. It's the attitude of humility in how we deal with one another, and they're long. Our dealings don't take five minutes. Instead, we're going to see then that our bearing with one another, our forgiving with one another, it stretches out just like God's does. If you look through history, you'll see that God put up with mankind for a long time. He bore with their sins and their transgressions and their idiosyncrasies. Mostly God just put up with real sin. We have to put up with some things that are not sin, but we perceive to be so. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But because we have that lowliness of mind, if we put it on, it will issue forth in a way that we deal with one another, in a length of time with which we deal with one another. And then the actions. So all of these five nouns that replace the two lists before, the the sexual immorality, the, uh, the passions, the evil desires, the, the uh, covetousness, the anger, the wrath, the malice, the slander, the wicked words. Instead, we've put on this new man. We are putting on this new man. And this is what he does. The dressed new man does this. He bears with one another. He forgives one another just as the Lord has forgiven us. So these are the actions. Now, we're going to have to uh, flip around a little bit. I'd prefer to stay in one passage, but in order to get to the heart of this, we, we are going to ha have a little bit of movement today. And I, I want to start and emphasize everything that we know about what God is calling us to. It's, it's not in a vacuum. Paul reminds us that it issues forth in these kinds of actions and bearing with one another and forgiving one another in the example, the, the one that we're imitating is God himself. And not God in the abstract, not God dealing with someone else, but God dealing with us. As the Lord has forgiven us, so also must we. And I would put that alongside both participles there, both bearing with one another and forgiving one another. So we're going to start then with a definition. Hopefully you all know this, but we need to be reminded of it, refreshed in what forgiveness is, what the goal is, before we get to the mechanism, before we get to how to do it, what is it that God has done? And it's easy if you think about what God has done for you. At the very heart it begins with this understanding that sin and transgression, they incur a debt. Forgiveness, forgiveness proper doesn't occur outside of sin. It's, it's not the kinds of things that, you know, I bump into my daughter and I say, I'm sorry, I, I bumped into you. This is dealing with sin. There's, there's real transgression and there's a real burden that hurts. So the forgiveness that responds to this transgression is a removal of the debt. He's already told us that. He blotted out the handwriting of debts that was written against us. And so forgiveness is then a promise. Unlike the guts of mercy, forgiveness is not a feeling first and foremost. Instead, it is a promise. It's a response in which we proclaim, we covenant with our brothers just as God has covenanted with us. And he said... I will not remember. He does not say, I will forget. He says, I will not remember. And we have to remember that. What, what does God remember? He remembers his covenant faithfulness to us. But in his covenant, he says, I will not remember your sins and lawless deeds anymore. We read it out of the new covenant passage of Jeremiah 31. It's copied in Hebrews chapter 10. He says, I will not. It's a promise. And it's an enduring promise. So when we promise to forgive, we are making that promise, I will not remember, I will not bring it up, I will not think about it, I will not hold it against you. 
God is the one who blots out our transgressions, and he does it for his own namesake. He will not remember our sins, and so he calls us to do the same for our brothers. Now, there's conditions. We're going to get to that. There's, there, there's, there's a lot that goes into forgiveness. But we have to put this first and foremost. It doesn't matter what we feel like in this case. Instead, we're called, because we've been forgiven, to forgive. God says in Isaiah 44, I blotted out your transgressions, and he said, I've done it like a thick cloud. Remember, God came like a thick cloud. God comes as a cloud in the day and a fire by night, and he comes and he takes those transgressions and he takes them on himself. It's another picture of what Jesus has done. I blot them out like a thick cloud. Your sins are like a heavy mist. I've put all your sins behind my back, so he doesn't look at them anymore. So when we deal with one another, then forgiveness, and I'm going to argue here in just a minute, that bearing with one another has the same effect. There's a slightly different mechanism going on there, but it has the same effect. Bearing with one another is to put those sins away. They're covered up. They are not looked at. They are not thought about. And when we're tempted to dwell on them, we're reminded then of our promise, I will not think about these transgressions, about this offense, I have put them away. I've promised my brother. Who is a God like our God? He pardons iniquity. He passes over rebellious acts. He does not retain his anger forever. So this is what forgiveness is. Now, there are cases, if you're a judge, or you're brought onto a panel of a, a judicial system in which you have to bring that transgression up. We have to be careful not to entangle ourselves with that because our tendency is to, is to, to find all the excuses to remember. Right? So, so I don't want you to worry about that for now. God calls us to forget in our personal relationships, in our coming to the table. He calls us, well, not to forget, but to not remember, to promise this not remembering. So that's first. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is a promise I will not remember. Forgiveness is a royal authority. It's a king's authority. Think about what Jesus did as he, as he tromps through the world in, in, in three years of ministry, where he goes and he heals the paralytic man in Matthew chapter 9. Remember, he, he raised him up but he, he said, I, I did that so that you might know I have authority to forgive sins. He says, go forth, walk away, and your sins are forgiven. I will remember them no more. That authority is given to us as the new man. You'll see, forgiveness is the emphasis, then, of the new covenant. It's not that it doesn't exist in the old, but that authority is raised up and given to us wholeheartedly. We have then the right, the responsibility, and it's a privilege to put away sin, to put it away for our brothers. Now, one more thing before we move on from this definition of forgiveness. I'm going to come back to this, but there's a purpose behind it, and if we, if we lose a hold of the purpose We'll use the words, but we won't actually forgive. The purpose of forgiveness is restoration of brotherhoods. It's, it's to bring back together. Not to, not to say, I forgive and keep you at arm's length, but instead to restore relationship. So that we here, when we forgive one another, we come back as this one new man in whom Christ is all and in all. Now, secondly, I've already touched on this, so I, I won't dwell on it. But that new man, that forgiveness, that forgiveness issues forth from the new man. If we don't first put on guts of mercy and lowliness of mind that issue forth in compassion, kindness, gentleness, and patience, when the offenses are deep, we'll wriggle our way out. So there's a mindset first, there's a clothing that we have to dress ourselves in that leads to this forgiveness, a compassion for others and a, 
a, a, a way in which we think about self. Now thirdly, within the church, we can often think about who has this responsibility of forgiveness. You'll notice in verse 13 that he says we must bear with one another and forgive each other. It's universal within the body of Christ. And this is particularly about the body of Christ. Like the clothing, it has implications outside, but it's about one another. And most particularly the ones you see seated in front of you. Because those are the one another's we deal with. And there's not a distinction then between those who are mature in Christ, those who have been Christians a long time, know their Bibles backwards and frontwards, and those who have just come to Christ. Forgiveness... Forgiveness goes both ways and and will, must go both ways because we have not yet put all sin away. Offenses will come. So now to the heart. How, why do we forgive as the Lord has forgiven you? I want to talk for a minute about verse 13. He gives us two, two verbs in the participle form. We bear with one another. We're called to bear one, with one another. In putting on this clothing, we, this, this new man, we bear with one another and or we forgive with one another. If you remember last week, I, I told you that the root of this word for bearing is holding. There is a distinction in thought here. So there's two verbs. There's two things that we, we can do and they're both brought about by offense. So the, the source here is you've been dressed as a new man and offense comes. Because it will. Remember, such were some of you. You were angry, you were furious, you were full of wrath and slander and malice. And some of that creeps in. We haven't finished putting it to death yet. And so complaints come, offenses come. And then we have options. The options are we can bear with or we can forgive But what I want to tell you is the net effect is the same. When we talk about bearing with one another, you're holding on to them. So it's still not pushing them away, saying, you have offended me. I'm not going to bring it to your attention. I'm I'm not going to forgive you. Instead, I'm I'm not going to talk about it, but I'm going to push you away. That isn't the idea of bearing with. Instead, it's holding on to. In 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, Peter, Peter, Peter tells us, in the same kind of context as this, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins, a plethora, an uncountable number of sins. I don't, I don't know that that, uh, that fully encompasses the idea of bearing with one another. But it's a start. So at the, at the root here, we have to practice love for one another. And in that love, in that love, love will cover a multitude of sins. In your family, you're probably aware of this, right? You, your spouses, you offend one another. Children, your parents are awfully annoying. Now, love covers well, what, what, is, what does that mean? I think that can still encompass forgiveness, but there's a second aspect. So Proverbs 19.11, Solomon says this, the discretion of a man, so his wisdom, makes him slow to anger. Remember, that, that's like God. God said that in, in, in Psalm 103, he's slow to anger. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and it is a man's glory to overlook transgression. So now we have another word which helps us fill out this meaning of of bearing with one another. If we practice being like our Savior, that means we will be very slow to anger. Solomon says that This is glory. You want to be crowned with glory and honor? You want to be put first and foremost? Practice this. Overlook transgressions. Overlook the one who offends you. Set it aside. 
And under this option, option A, we just cover it. My wife has to do this all the time, right? Now, sometimes, sometimes, those offenses are not transgressions. People speak, and they, 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 we misunderstand each other. We have all kinds of problems with that. Sometimes they are wholehearted, full-faced transgressions, sin in which there's intention. So not, not, not a lack of intention, a sin of... Uh, a sin in, in which you accidentally hurt your brother. There's still sin there involved, right? So you can negligently uh, wreck into somebody, but, but it's not presumptuous. You're not saying, well, I'm going to do that. I, I want to hurt you, the malice involved in it. And, and God does make a distinction between those two. But in both cases, we're given the option to overlook. We can overlook that transgression, Love covers all transgressions. So I want to pose this question then. If you practice love and you say, I'm going to take option A, overlook my brother's, my wife's, my friend's offense, his transgression, can I, can I then bring it, a, bring it up a little bit later? Because... After all, I haven't made the promise to forgive, so I can stash it, wallpaper over it for a while, stash it away, store it up for a rainy day. Yeah. Now, we're not, we're not thinking of that at the time, but in practice, this is frequently what we do. We say, well, I'm not going to bring that to my brother, that offense. I, I, I won't bring it up before him. After all, love covers a multitude of transgressions, but we store them, and we start counting them. And you, you start getting wallpaper and carpets that are full of dead bodies. If you've got the, the two-by-fours and you've got rotting corpses in between them. And then one day, it all overflows and the anger bursts forth. And now you have a record. I've got these debts that you owe me. We haven't taken care of them. I don't think so. That's not what overlooking a transgression means. So you should think in your minds, when you say, I'm going to cover sin because I love you, I'm going to overlook your transgression, that has the force of forgiveness. If God kept a record of our sins, who stands before him? Remember what Paul says about, about love. So here's the evidence for you that those that are doubting. If, if love covers a multitude of sins, Paul says that love does not keep a record of wrongdoings. So they're, they're not inscribed. They're not written down. They're not stored away in the back of your brain. Instead, they're overlooked. And remember, as you think about this, this is glory. To overlook your brother's transgression. This is a good thing. Do you ever notice that offenses, they don't come in the singular? And we have a word for it, offense. But it never happens that way. The reason is that when we're offended, whether it's due to sin or a misunderstanding, you name it, or because I wore a yellow shirt on a Sunday, what generally happens, and this is what we have to watch out for, is that we begin watching. So we're on, we're on alert now that our brother... Well, we'll overlook that one, but now we're on the lookout for new offenses. And guess what? If you're on the lookout, you will find them. <laughs> they will come, and they'll come not in ones and twos and threes, but in tens and hundreds and thousands. 
For those of you that are students, if you want to learn how to study, study, study bitterness. It has a long, deep memory. You think about it. You dwell on it. And, and this is what clues us in that here's where we have trouble. When, when we dwell on offenses, when we think about them, they keep coming up in our mind and then we're adding to them. Well, here's, here's the pattern. Here's what I know. And we have the conversations in our mind. There's no student that's better than a bitter student at finding something afresh, some new learning, a new reason to take offense. There's perfect memory there. Every one of us has perfect recall when it comes to things that we're angry about. You ever notice that? You can spout off a conversation verbatim because of bitterness. It's an incredible memory assist. Somebody should make a pill. <laughs> Overlooking offenses doesn't allow for that, right? So in your marriage, we're going we're to come to that here in a few weeks. Husbands, wives, fathers, children. Overlooking offenses does not allow for this record, this tally of wrong, this newfound vigor to find reasons to be upset. Instead, it's our glory to overlook, to keep no record of debt, to welcome our brother without considering his offenses. Why? Because that's what God has done for us. The Lord is slow to anger. The Lord is abounding in loving kindness. Now notice, God does judge. He brings into our our life Discipline, judgment, confrontation. But he's slow. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk now about forgiveness proper. If you would turn with me to Matthew 18. I'm not going to reread Matthew 18 for you. Hyde read it this morning as we came to the word. But I, I want you to remember, at the outset in this chapter, the disciples have come to Jesus and they said, who, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a child and he, and he said, you have to be like this child. Come before me like this child. And whoever stumbles this child, this little one, he'll, he'll be least It'll be better for him to have a millstone hung around his neck and cast into the sea and drowned. Remember, it's our glory to overlook offenses. You want to be great? Be good at this. Be good at overlooking offenses. And beware, watch out. There's warnings aplenty in this passage throughout the gospel of becoming a stumbling block for your brother. So when it comes to rebuke, and forgiveness, it's easy to become a stumbling block. It's easy to become a millstone around his neck. And so we need to approach forgiveness and remember the goal. The goal is restoration. So, so scan your eyes forward to verse 12 in chapter 18. Before we get to the mechanics of forgiveness, we have this parable, the one we know about the hundred sheep and one is lost. And the, the shepherd goes out and searches for the one, and he rejoices when the one returns. So the object of forgiveness, the goal, cannot be missed in what follows. The goal is full restoration. And when that happens, there is joy. Now look at verse 15. If your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. Most of you know this passage. If your brother sins, go to reprove him in private. Well, does that conflict with overlooked transgressions? I think the answer is not. So there is a time for each. There's a time to overlook transgressions, and there's a time to go and rebuke your brother in private. If you've been offended, those, by the way, are your only two options. There is no other option. You can choose A or you can choose B. If your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. Well, how do you decide? 
You decide based on this foundation that Paul has told us. On all of these things, love. So you decide based on what's best for your brother. You decide to overlook because you love him and that's what's good for him. Or you decide that you must rebuke because you love him and that's what's good for him. If your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So remember the goal, restoration. This is where, where we should be, where we should have our eyes set. The goal is gain your brother. Of course, we know if he doesn't listen, then God gives us, he, he gives us the mechanics, what we're supposed to do next. Take another brother. Go talk to him. But again, the goal is restoration. The goal is love your brother. We have a tendency to forget that somewhere in this sequence. And here's the danger of the mechanics of forgiveness. For those of you that are mature in Christ, that know your Bibles, you know these things already. You know that if your brother sins, you can go and reprove him. You know that you're to then take two or three witnesses and go to them again. And you know that what comes after is you bring it before the church and and then the church has the authority to bind and to loose, to remove, again, for the purpose of love. But sometimes we can use that and we become, we, we become expert lawyers. And we forget that the goal is restoration. The goal is not a pound of flesh in coming to our brothers. I have, I have some, some warnings there. To watch out for. But I, I, I don't know if we're going to get there today. So we may end up in another week. Um, so in the ideal case, that's verse 15. You go to your brother. He sins. You rebuke him. It's all done. He repents. And there's full restoration. And we know there in Matthew 18 what happens if he doesn't repent. You go and take two or three more. Now, sometimes that happens. This, 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 this is, it's easy then, right? We, we know what to do at this point. Now, frequently, the problem is, what about the repentance? It isn't, it isn't full repentance. So there's some, there's some repentance, but it's not what we would consider complete. What then? And corresponding to that, what if, what if there isn't repentance? Do, are we still called to forgive? What, what does that look like? If, if, if forgiveness is uh, promising not to remember, I'm not going to bring it up, well, in that sense, you're not forgiving because we keep coming back. We bring two or three witnesses. We bring the church. And if we're doing it right, we're doing that because, because we love our brother, because we want to restore him. So this, the, the advice, the, Paul's, Paul's uh, analogy for us that he wants us to meditate on, to think about is, how has the Lord forgiven you? And we can pose that question. Is your repentance complete and absolute? The answer is no. It has holes in it. There's things you don't know. There's things that, that at least at, at the outset, you're not, you're not fully aware of. And the repentance may not come off as, as the lowliness that we want. Now, we have a word to the sinner. That is what we need to do as sinners. Full-throated, unapologetic repentance in which we take no defense. But right now, the word is for the forgivers. When we rebuke our brother and he comes, and he, if we have this goal of love and restoration, there's... There's wisdom in thinking about what did God do? When did he do it? So I told you that in, in, in a limited sense, 
You can't forgive, you can't fully forgive until that repentance comes. But what did God do for us? So he planned out our restoration. Before we even sinned, he sent his son to the cross to take our place, to pay our accumulated debts. And then Paul tells us in Ephesians that he laid out for us. He laid out for us good works. He laid out for us the life. He laid out for us the whole process of restoration. He planned it in advance. So what do we do when our brother sins and there's not repentance yet? As the Lord forgave you, so also do we. We plan out their restoration. Now think about the parable of the prodigal son. He leaves, he's unrepentant. There's hard-heartedness there. And he finally comes back. What does the father do? Does, does he stay inside and wait for him to kneel on the ground? He runs out to meet him because the goal is restoration. He loves him. Even the smallest sign that he is ready to be done with this sin, he comes alongside. He plans out this, this forgiveness. That's what we need to be like eager to forgive. Now, I, I told you there's, there's some warnings. And the, the warnings, you can, you, can, you can find them when we start thinking about our brother. And so you have some offense in your mind, you've rebuked your brother, and then you, you, you make a statement. I'll only accept X, Y, Z. So... I'll, I'll forgive because God told me to forgive, but I'm only going to accept him. And, and you, you have a, a, a limiter set in there, this full-throated repentance. Well, God calls us to that kind of repentance, but beware, because when that's on our mind, it usually means that we're not in it for love. We're in it to get a pound of flesh. We want to make sure that there is appropriate humility, not before God, but before us. So forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Now, how many times? This is an easy one, right? Seven times in Luke, 77 times, depending on your version of Matthew, 70 times seven in another, another translation of Matthew. We're not going to get to it today, but those numbers have riddles to them. Like many of Jesus' parables, there's, there's, a, there's a meaning. So it's not just random that he chose 77 or 70 times 7. There's, there's a depth there in which God is going to build on his example. Forgive as God has forgiven you. But for right now, we can just take it quite literally. How many times? Seven times, seven, 77 times, Luke says in a day, right? So functionally what that means is we can't take a magnifying glass to their repentance, right? If, if we do, we'll find it somewhat shortcoming because after all, how could you sin so many times repeatedly? But consider what God has done for us. His forgiveness is magnificent and overwhelming. Now, a, a word to the sinner. So those of you who need to forgive, shut your ears if you're not sinners. And open your other ear. What, sh what should the offender do? If you've offended your brother, seek him out. You're not absolved in this party. There is no condition within the people of God where a rift should be maintained, where it's allowed to be maintained. If you're offended, you go to your brother or you overlook it. If you're the offender, you go to your brother. Now, sometimes you, you may not know because there's many things we say. I'm, I'm sure they come out of my mouth. You look at my yellow shirt and you're offended and I don't know it. So either party must go to the other. There has to be a mutual coming in which if that offense is to linger, it has to be dealt with. 
Now, if you have sinned, what does God call us to? God calls us to humble, humble repentance. So not demanding the forgiveness, even though he calls us to that forgiveness, he promises it, he calls us to make that promise. But when we're the sinner, we don't go with the demand, you must forgive me, with, uh, with our list of rights. Instead, we go humbly, knowing that we have offended deeply. And furthermore, when we repent, we're to come with restitution. If I steal your car, I'm going to bring it back. And if it's an old car, maybe a, a full tank of gas will do the extra 20% that, uh, that we're called to in Leviticus 6. But this is what, this is what God calls us to. He calls us to this kind of repentance where, where we restore what was taken away. If I've slandered you, I make it right. So I, I remove that slander publicly. For the sinner, this is what God calls us to do. Now, for the offended, so you that don't sin or other way around, whichever one you are, listen, listen now. God gives us the privilege of setting aside those debts. In the book of Philemon, remember, Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon, and he says, whatever he owes, I'll cover it. I'll do that. Now, the offending party can do that. They say, well, all right, all right you, you, you took my car, I give the car back, but you don't have the 20%, so I'll cover it. Or maybe even you let them have the car. That's the privilege of the offended party. Remember in our parable here, the, the slave owed 10,000 talents. He couldn't pay it back. And the debt was erased, blotted out. There was no handwriting, there's no certificate of decrees against him. Now we have we have a tendency in which it's difficult for us to judge in the midst of offense. It's difficult for us to judge rightly uh, our sin, our involvement in it. And I'll tell you that most, most complaints, there's bi-directionality to them. And that makes it easy for us to feel like we're the victim, we're the offended side and not the offender. And we weigh out the, the measure of what's happened unequally. Remember that a just balance and a scale belongs to the Lord. Unequal weights are an abomination we don't judge things rightly. Instead, we, we magnify. We magnify their part in the transaction. And, and they're complex, right? Many things you didn't mean. Some things you did mean. You meant to hurt. You meant to steal. But many things maybe you did not mean. And so we, we lift up the, the part we, that maybe we find excusable. And so, well, this was my part. And to you belongs the rest. And so there's a, a warning here. When we come to forgiveness and repentance, sometimes we need help to look with new, clean eyes. We have to be on the watch because we frequently, we frequently do not judge ourselves the same as we judge others. We think we've done okay and it was a mistake, but it's excusable, but they... They, they are terrible. They meant to hurt me. They dug down deep. And we fail to look at it like Christ looks at us. How much more because God has forgiven us of... He, he sees into our hearts. He knows they're intentional. He knows that we, we violently disobey Him. And yet He's slow to anger. He overlooks offenses. And where He rebukes, we confess He's faithful to forgive We're out of time, so I, ha I have some more, some more things to say here. But these mechanics of forgiveness, don't take them as an excuse. If you are the offender, someone accuses you, it's easy to pull out your Bible and read your, you say, you didn't read me my Miranda rights, so I'm off, the, I'm off the hook. 
look, you didn't do it right. And to stop and consider that privilege of having God expose your sin. And last thing, because God calls us to be this body that's filled with love for one another, know this about yourself. Our memories are faulty. That bitterness that produces the perfect record memory, I said make a pill of it, but it actually isn't that perfect. We think we've got the full record, but view your memory with suspicion. Your record of wrongs, view it suspiciously and with a humble mind, lift up your brother's record because you love him. We'll stop there. And if you would stand and let's pray. Father, we, we are those who have been forgiven much. Lord, we walked in all kinds of sin. And yet, you planned out. You planned out a sacrifice of your son to settle that debt. You planned out the conviction that reaches us. You planned out our own faith given as a gift. And you have forgiven us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us, help us to have feet that are quick to obey, to dress ourselves in these kinds of clothes, to have guts of mercy when we look at our brothers and our sisters in Christ, to, th to think more of them and less of self because that's what Jesus has done for us, to have a mind like our Savior who did not regard equality with you a thing to be grasped but emptied himself and took on the form of a bondservant. And you glorified him, Lord, and you give us then this new man and call us unto this glory to bear with one another, to hold on to one another, and to forgive. So help us to do that. Lord, bind us together unto our head from whom flows all life and nourishment. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.